Hey, it's Mario Lopez. Thank you for joining me for a new episode of Listen to Mario. Love doing this podcast because, well, I get to sit down and have fun, in-depth conversations with all kinds of fascinating people from all walks of life. And this week, I'm going to be chatting with a dude that I've known for a really long time, Bert Marcus. Bert is the guy behind this new Netflix doc called The American Meme. It's all about the uh, dark side of social media. I've known Bert since he used to sleep on my cousin's couch way back in the day. Fast forward, he's now probably one of the hottest documentary filmmakers uh, in the game and doing quite well and actually getting into feature films. Uh, Really proud of him, actually. And uh, I want to hear all about uh, this new doc, so let's get into it. Listen to Mario! Bert Marcus, welcome to the show. You look honored. Not only am I honored... I am uh, incredibly flattered that the number one uh, trending film in America, the American meme, the director himself, Bert Marcus, is here in studio with me. So thank you for taking the time. Now with your newfound popularity and and success, uh, trying to say that with a straight face. How long have I known you, dude? Do you mean America or do you mean 190 countries? Oh, excuse me. Actually, you're incorrect. 192 countries. We'll get back to the success of your film in a second. Chill out. Mario's huge in Malaysia. How... How, uh, more on Malaysia later. How, how long have I known you? I was trying to figure that out. Uh, if we carry the one, it's been like 15 years. Has it? Yeah. And when I met you, you were doing 2003 one. 2003 or four. Was it something like that? Yeah. I can't remember initially when we first met, but you were, were you an intern for a radio show at the time? I or? worked, yeah, I worked at uh, Clear Channel, the now known as iHeart. Right. Uh, I was an intern. I worked as a producer. Yeah. I worked all the way up. So I think that's when we first initially met. Yes. Because. I'd always look at you and say you had a face for radio. Do you remember? <laughs> Says the guy with the face for radio. <laughs> oh, no, kidding, kidding. Listen, so, okay, because I, I, you didn't, did you go to school? For, I know you grew up here, and I want to get to that in a second, but did you study um, to, 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 for this particular industry in any capacity, or was it just literally being a product of living here in L.A.? Honestly, I, I, I did study some film courses, but I went to USC. Um, I, but I was a business, I was a business major. Where, but did you finish? Uh, yeah. Oh, and you did I finished, you yeah. have a degree. Yes. Okay. So I went to, I, I went to, uh, you know, studied undergrad business, uh, at Marshall. And then I actually went to, um, you know, I always had a passion for film. I always had a passion for music. So that's kind of how I got initially involved in radio. And, uh, it's kind of funny because now with a lot of the films that we do, obviously music plays such an integral role in like films you know you, you're a film buff and right they can make or break films and absolutely I th- and i think uh yeah just merging the two it's kind of interesting how everything kind of came came to a head and is you know so relevant in my life now so you so okay so you <clears throat> were always a fan of entertainment but you didn't necessarily grow up wanting to do it no you just just Actually, were just a fan yeah i was never i think growing up in la you kind of are around so many people who want to be famous or their parents were famous or... Well, in your situation, because to rewind even further, it's not like you grew up, um, you know, in, in uh, name that suburb. You grew up like in the heart of uh, yeah. Hollywood, Beverly Hills, amongst the elite, if you will, well, right? We, we, I went to a school with a lot of entertainment kids. I was a basketball player. Who were some, the, and who, I who were some of the kids? Drop some names. Uh, I think a couple of Mario's kids eventually, the ones that you don't know of, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure I was brought up with. Seriously, who'd you go to No, school? I think uh, Paris, actually, and I went, uh, grew up together. Paris Hilton, okay. Yeah. So I knew Paris for a very long time, Nicole, Richie. Okay. Um, pretty much like the who's who's kids were a lot in our school. I went to a school called Buckley. Right, private school here in LA. 
uh, not cheap. <laughs> so, well, actually, nowadays it's insane. It, it was actually so different. I mean, it, I'm in my early to mid 30s now. So it's nowadays, I think it's like 50 grand a year for these private schools. It's, it's unreal. It's very different than it. I mean, in the last 15 years, obviously, I graduated 15 years ago. So it's night and day difference. But yeah, I think growing up in this. Wait, in that school, you <clears> can go from like first grade all the way to senior? kindergarten through 12th. Shut up, yeah. K through twelve, and we call they, we we would call us lifers. That's what that, like at the end of school. Were you a lifer there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How'd you like that, dude? You know, it's interesting. It's like being a, a you know, it's like I tried to be like the Ferris Bueller in my school, so it was fun for me. I was like a big fish in a small pond, so you know, it was always fun for us. I grew up with a lot of the same kids, and we were all we all like loved it and and loved playing sports there, and you know, always ripped on each other since we were young. So I imagine you get very close to those people. It's insane. Well, it's weird when you're about to graduate and you're like, wow, I'm actually about to enter the real world. That's a little shocking. So like, yeah. I think I had a countdown. Most kids are like extremely pumped to go to college and just get lo- let loose and go crazy. And my parents were always super chill with me and, uh, you know, trusted me. So I didn't really have that need to just break out and just go nuts when I went to college. So right. for me, I and I and I already had a job and I was working through high school as well. So what were you doing in high school? I was working in radio. That's when I started. Who hooked you up in radio? That's when I started. I actually just started with an internship. Really? Yeah. Clear Channel. That's how I started. So, yeah. Wow. In high school. So and your parents are not in the entertainment industry. No, not correct? at all. What are your, None what of my do, family. What do uh, what is your dad? Do uh, my dad mom? works in biotechnology. And so he builds kind of state of the art real estate facilities to do some of the most important research work in the world for wow. you know, every disease known to man. Yeah. And my mom was a teacher, you know, very uh, involved in the charity world. So, you know, my dad helps run the Navy SEAL Foundation and raises a lot yeah. of money for them. So, my mom so, so nothing works, in the entertainment, no, nothing no, to tie in there. It's just, so that's why it was weird in my school. I was one of the very few that had like no ties or connection to the entertainment industry yeah. at all. So, but you, but you, um, we're, we're right in the mix. And, you know, knowing you as long as uh, I have uh, one of my favorite things about you is you, you don't uh, you don't come across affected like you don't. You know, you, obviously, you're fortunate enough to be privileged uh, with, with with a nice, stable, close family. But you don't, you don't come across it conceited or arrogant or never, never show off anything like that, which is really, you know, which is refreshing. Well, I wish it, I could say really the same nice. for you. But. Yeah, I know. I'm working on it. <laughs> but um, no, I appreciate that coming from you. That means a lot. And you've always been I mean, for for everybody. else, I mean, like Mario's always been like kind of a big brother to me. So I do appreciate that and keep me in check and in line, maybe break a rib every now and then. Right. Oh, wait, did we spar with my buddy Tootie who broke your rib? Wasn't it? Was it no, me? I'm pretty sure you did. What did I do? When you punched me in a, in a parking lot or something. Oh, you're so stupid. I didn't punch him. Tootie was there. We're getting, you're jumping my timeline, Bert. Let's stay, let's stay, uh, let's stay on course. I hate when he gets all flushed. Too. You so start stupid. looking like the bachelor. You're so bit. stupid. <laughs> start looking like this. So wait, I'm trying to t- I'm trying to tell your story right here. I'm trying to tell your story because I think it's I think it's pretty fascinating. Uh, see, growing up and if I grew up in L.A., well, I mean, I kind of, I didn't really grow up in L.A. because it was a big it's a big difference, a world of difference, only being a couple hours south and saying. But growing up in this, how did you manage not to get involved in uh, the drug scene, the party scene, to, to keep it pretty uh, pretty clean cut? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely- not that I'm aware of, but or did you have about? It's, no, did, it's right? definitely different. I mean, like, listen, the first time I had seen drugs was probably like fifth grade. And, you know, you fifth grade, yeah. what, was like nine. No, no, no. Kids, kids, fifth and sixth grade, like was a very popular time. And I think it is even now where, you know, a lot of people's parents and stuff were involved and, you know, had access to, you know, different types of substances and pills and stuff like that. And a lot of kids would come around. And I, I think a lot of it just comes how you're raised, you know, being a father and you're, you're a great father, which I respect immensely. And I think Thank that's you. something that's so crucial. Because like in the world we live in, it's so 
it's insane. And right. I think the biggest thing for me was I was always grounded by my family. So no matter what, and we didn't come from like, re, like this upper class family when we were growing up, we didn't come from that. You know, my dad was a hardworking lawyer and worked really hard, but you know, he didn't really take it to the next level in his career till we were, you know, in college. And so it was very, it, it was different. And I think for me, my life was sports and it was being with my close friends and being with my family. And I loved music and I, and I loved watching films, but I think I, for me, I was pretty opposed to actually being in the entertainment industry because when you see so many people just that's all they want to do and that's all they talk about they become obsessed sure. yeah and i thought okay what can i do that's different what what can i and and it's so it's very ironic that i would end up doing this because if you ask me this as a high schooler saying hey what do you what do you see yourself in 10 years or what do you you know where do you see yourself on a career path i wouldn't have never guessed this so you graduated college with a business degree and did you do anything with it or along those lines of work or did you automatically decide at that point you, you wanted to well, do I always wanted to have a business background and then I was trying to figure out, OK, how do I use, you know, uh, the backgrounds that I have with my skill set and my skill set was always being very creative. I, I always wrote a lot of material. I wrote a lot of skits, even in radio. That's how I kind of got promoted, so to speak, uh, in that world, because I was answering phones the first day and I literally went from like answering phones to producing shows. But I would write skits and I would do whatever I could as a teenager to be creative and let my um, creative kind of whatever you want to say, get out there. And I uh, was pretty pumped about being able to be exposed to different artists and different music. But radio only has a certain amount of like creativity that you can have. Uh, unfortunately, right? So, because there's so many, there's a program director, there's a music director, there's so much structure, as you guys know. And so there's only so much you can do. So I was always like, how can I, you know, I have so many great stories. You wanted that, to tell stories. Yeah, I wanted to tell stories and I wanted to also share stories that I that were also true. Well, that's one of the things that um, I love about the films is I love documentaries. I'm a fan of, of documentaries. And your focus has has primarily so far been on, on documentaries. When did When did you take on your first film? When was that? We did my first film shortly after college. We started working on a film called Teenage Paparazzo, which we took to Sunday. I'm in that. Yeah, you are in it, actually. And I asked Mario to be in it. That's, That's right. true. You have a, you, Mario's got a little... I'm a homie. Yeah, Mario Mario definitely... Yeah, so you actually did help me on that first one. It was a lot of like calling friends and, and, and stuff like that. But we took that to the Sundance Film Festival. And did just to pause there to for a second. Yeah, you sold it to HBO. That that got um, a lot of critical acclaim. And essentially, it was... It was uh, sort of peeling back the curtain on paparazzi and their lifestyle. There was a little kid. Well, hence the teenage paparazzi. And that was kind of one of my first inspirations because growing up in LA, like we were talking about, it's almost like squirrels chasing nuts. It's like God took nuts, threw them all over the city and the squirrels ran wild. And you're like, whoa, like right. what is happening here? And this was a perfect example. It was being at, you know, the nightclubs or dinners or any of the hotspots in Hollywood, you would, there was a huge influx of like paparazzi at that time because it was before the cell phone. So we're talking 2010. Paparazzi, I mean, I know it's always been around, but when did it get nuts? When, was, did, when do you think that, it went next level? I think it was that that era of our generation was that 2000, I would say, 8 through 2011. Yeah, I was trying to find a, like a time of it. I guess it would be like around that time. Because so, it was before everyone started the whole selfie craze and, right. and before we were walking around like our own paparazzi. Exactly, exactly. So, okay, from teenage paparazzi. So he, it, it, it highlights a 12-year-old paparazzi right. kid who's essentially trying to become famous by taking pictures of famous people. It's like the ultimate paradox. Do you know what became of that kid? Yeah, actually, I still keep in touch with him. Oh, look at that. Austin. What's yeah, he doing? He's a good kid. He's, uh, you know, he got he, he got involved in nightlife for a little bit, but now he's getting back to his, like, true passion photography and 
uh, now working on production, trying to become a cinematographer, DP type style. Oh, look at that. Yeah, so he's doing, he's doing well. And okay. we, I definitely talk to him every few months. Good for him. And from Teenage Paparazzo, your next film was? How to Make Money Selling Drugs. How to Make Money Selling Drugs. I love all these subjects, by the way. And they're, they're all fascinating. Um, are, were, what, was the, what was the objective in that particular uh, film? And, a how-to guide from every aspect of how everybody on every flip of the coin. Why'd you want to tackle that? Is affected by the drug industry. Um, at that time, it was such a, a timely. It was such. A, it was a topic that was extremely timely. That was extremely controversial. It was before the legalization Still of marijuana is. anywhere. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but even before marijuana, I mean, it was like when people were facing twenty year sentences for you know marijuana possession. And for us, it was oh, like, right. how do we come up with a very interesting, fun, entertaining, catchy way of doing it? And it's almost like a how to Cliff Notes guide on how you make money from every side. So it's how everyone from the DEA to the to the users to the dealers to the people suffering so it's it's a pretty interesting film it's on Amazon you can still check it out what'd you learn let me rewind a little bit what'd you learn from the paparazzo experience uh I just you know it's always interesting as you're making films you learn things every time as far as like how films come together what was your takeaway from the actual film or the making the film both I think from the actual film it was pretty jaw-dropping and eye-opening how far people will push the limits to become famous. And I think that's what almost led to where we are now in society. And at that time it was, you know, like I said, watching a 12 year old kid homeschooled just that, that thought so that he can go out all night long till 5am to take pictures of people and become this kind of phenomenon is very fascinating. And to kind of see how his parents really pushed that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and pushed it and tried to, you know, here's his driver. Here's, you know, here's his his home tutor that's going to work with him during the day so that he can go out till 5 a.m. And he's 12. Yeah, that's it's just kind of it, it was pretty right. fascinating. And and, it's, and, and it's, what are you going to do with that when you're older? Right, exactly. And with how to sell money, uh, how, how to, to make money, how selling, to make money drugs. selling drugs. Yeah, I mean, it was a, a what was ex- takeaway for you there. I think the important thing was to to each drug law had to really be, you know, looked at with some clear eyes and some fresh eyes and see like what. Uh, look at our prison system and look at the people who are suffering and look at the, how addiction is, is affecting people and what are the ways in which we can deal with that and help people as opposed to just throwing people in jail and having them suffer and, and actually making the world worse. From that movie was champs next. Yeah. Champs, which again, I'm proud to say I am a producer with, uh, yes, you are with, with Bert Marcus. And I get the biggest kick of when people not knowing that I was involved, come up to me and said, hey, man, I saw, I know you're a fight fan. you got to see this movie I saw on Netflix called Champs. It's great. And I let him go on and I let him run. And I let him run. I've fortunately only heard positive reviews from word of mouth. And then I'll, you know, at the end I said, oh, I'm glad you like it. I never tell him. But I said, I'm, I'm glad you like it. But, you know, it, it makes me feel good. But um, then Mario's like, did you scroll to the end titles? Though? Yeah. Did, you make, did you make it to the end? Now, talk about that one. Define uh, that, that particular film. I think what's interesting about Champs is to see it through three very different fighters coming up at the same time. It's Mike Tyson, Evander Holyfield, Bernard Hopkins, um, completely different experiences and how it's almost a, a paradox in itself that boxing ends up saving these guys lives and gets them off the street and is the one thing that they have to take them to the next level. But at the same time, it becomes the worst thing that ever happened to them. And so it's this, it starts an important conversation as far as what do people do? Uh, is the boxing game have any anything in there for fighters long term? Is there are we looking out for fighters best interest? Are there 
the safeties and rule regulations that are being done, it really starts to like open up that conversation to say, are we doing everything to to help these guys because they they represent you know the the zero one percentile that can come out of these situations and then we don't look out for them at all. Well, more than even the sport itself, what I I thought I really struck a chord was just how it's a metaphor for life too. Absolutely, we're all we're all fighters in some capacity, and then you're completely vulnerable in there. You're completely alone and. And um, you're, you're left to your own um, devices, essentially. And that's pretty much how in life as well. So I, I, I really like that. Uh, I, I thought it struck a lot of um, it was uh, uh, had a lot of layers to it. And uh, I think that's why it resonated uh, with a lot of people. We also had a lot of cool actors who have played fighters. From, oh, yeah. From Mark Wahlberg to Denzel Washington to a lot of who's who. Yeah, to, I mean, look, the you, film. now you've got Creed going, coming from the, you know, the rock. It, boxing has has the best right. stories. We know that. Right. The, the, Individuals. Yes. And, and what they've gone through is so unique. All these different fighters, whether it's a guy like Mickey Ward or whether, you know, there's so yeah. many fascinating fighters. That's why I think fight movies were, are, are always here to stay, whether it's Cinderella Man. I mean, there's just it, it goes on and on. On, on and on, man. So, yeah, definitely check that one out. <laughs> on Netflix and scroll to the end and wait for right, the Mario yeah. Lopez Shout produced out. by um, from that was it because I'm trying to get your, your your body of work is is, is uh, I'm clouded now with, with all your many projects uh, from that was it we did a, a film called what we started what we started that's exactly it and what we started uh, you can check out on Amazon or Netflix and it's essentially our goal when I looked at the electronic dance music world with my radio background we had a, I had a lot of electronic dance music friends so who were in that world so i had a lot of dj friends producer friends and a lot of guys were coming up to me being like look i know you're in the doc space i know you're in, in you know trying to make films and and, and make, trying to make cool projects but everything in this kind of genre that we love and in our world has been very promotional or had some sort of agenda it was always made by somebody who was pushing something so it was about a particular artist or festival it always was like going to push something mm-hmm. and they were like we have never seen kind of a film on electronic dance music that's from an outsider's point of view. And it's not, you know, I am definitely a fan of, of some of the music and, and some of those, those artists and, and great producers and DJs, but I'm not intricately in, like involved in that world. Sure. And so you're seeing, yeah. And I thought they, they thought seeing, seeing it from like a completely outsider's point of view um, and coming into this world, how could we make a project that uh, is kind of like the definitive film of a, of this genre and really encapsulating such a rich, a rich history because a lot of people thought electronic dance music came and burst off the ether in the last five years when you started hearing it on every, every show, but it's right? been around. Yeah. And it's gone. And every major artist started using electronic dance music producers, whether right. it's Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Beyonce, Jay-Z, Ed Sheeran, sure. Usher. All of them. I mean, you name it. Right. They all have these kind of DJ producers. And it is amazing when you hear, the success and the amount of money these ED, oh, yeah. EDM DJs, oh, yeah. I mean, unbelievable. Some of the biggest earners yeah. uh, in, in the music business. And I found that also fascinating that most of them are all, not too many Americans. Yeah. They're all like Eastern well, European kids, right? And what's funny is everyone thinks the Litron dance music came from Europe, but really it originated, when we we're talking about 30, 40 years ago, it originated in Detroit, New York. You know, why but, didn't it resonate with American kids? To why, why did it take the Eastern European kids? To take I think it all level? goes in phases, and it's, it fuses itself in a different in different genres. I mean, there's so many genres and subgenres of electronic dance music. It's 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 unbelievable. Yeah, but all your big 
earners, big money makers have been. You're, you're absolutely, and uh, and the Calvin Harris's and uh, Tiesto and all those guys are all they're not from here for sure. And I think what happened is a lot of this this music kind of moved. It that we that's what the film shows is yeah. the film shows what we started really shows the evolution of the last thirty years. But instead of telling it like in a history lesson, or sure. if you don't really care about that kind of genre, it's, it's told in a completely nonlinear way. Right. So we took essentially. Uh, I would compare him to like almost like the Justin Bieber of this of this genre, Martin Garrix, who at the time was you know 16 years old, right. downloading equipment online. His dad was you know he was homeschooled, dad managing him, trying to just basically be the quintessential bedroom DJ. Right, and then we juxtapose him with a guy like the Springsteen of of electronic dance music. His name's Carl Cox, and he is you know a lot of people in America are like, who's that? And then yeah. you go anywhere in Europe, this guy is the king. Yeah, uh, the pioneer, the OG of this genre, and probably the most well-respected guy, Crazy. producer. And you show a guy who, like you said, has a USB stick, put, plays a pre-recorded set that's two hours, and he produces the music, goes on stage, makes half a million, and then a guy like Carl, who literally never plays the same song twice for ten hours, sometimes plays up to twelve-hour sets without taking a break. They Come on. takes one bathroom break, and they bring up beers pizza and the guy is a, is a legend you go to ibiza Damn. you go to any of these places so we're juxtaposing two polar opposite people in that genre right who would never meet in a million years they didn't meet until our film and we intertwine their stories through this 30-year history and it's pretty fascinating and and completely different different results and this guy's kind of on on uh you know his way of retiring and kind of settling down and martin's kind of taking that next step to to be past the baton in that genre i love the you, you could look at certain directors, whether it's Scorsese, um, Spielberg, and you see the way they shoot certain films and they have a certain tone and, and, and approach. I think you've done a pretty good job of carving out your, your, the look, the feel, and the music's always on point. Uh, I want to talk about the number one trending film in 192 countries. <laughs> <laughs> by the dashingly handsome six foot four Burt Mark. Do you mind saying that again without laughing? <laughs> I know I was trying to say it with straight face, dude. I'm not that good. Let's do that. Not that good of an actor. Let's, let's, do, let's do that one again. It's not no, a little muffled. Listen, listen. This in this my good ear. This is this part is true. Uh, well, actually, all that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't. Um, congratulations. First of all. Uh, when you when you, uh, you when you put it on Netflix and it's on the splash, that's a big deal, man. Especially with all the content right there. Amer- the American Meme, that's the name of the film. Um, do you like the title? Yeah, it's great. I do like. People the title. had mixed feelings on the title. I like. Why? The what title. were they? What were they thinking? I don't know. I think my own editor was like, "You cannot go with this title." And what I was, was like, it, what, this- "What were the other contenders?" I don't remember his his uh, the ones he wanted to throw in the ring. Or but, the ones you considered. But- this was what I thought since day one, because to me, you know, a lot of people thought maybe it would um, make it not as relevant around the world because you're making it the American. You have a big American flag on. But America is, is relevant around the world. A hundred percent. That was my feeling. And everyone around the world wants to come to America for the American dream. Right. And this stream has ever so changed. Hence the American meme. Yeah. And meme is what? Me, me. So yes. we're in this me, me world. So there's a lot of plays on it that that make a lot of sense. I, uh. No, I like the title and, and and I like the film. And for for those not uh, familiar, uh, t- tell us about. It. So the American meme was really influenced, like we were talking about earlier, like growing up in L.A. was a real inspiration for where this film came from. I don't think I could have made a film like this or even wanted to make a film like this if I wasn't born and raised here. And I think 
when you see how everybody used to when you're growing up, a lot of kids, I think, and you can probably relate to this. Everybody kind of had this these aspirations of having these careers or, you know, their future. And they'd be like, oh, what do you want to do when you're older? And people are like, I want to be a doctor. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a lawyer. I want to be a basketball player. Like it was about. And, and when you ask them why it was really there was some there was a reason behind it. There was I love this or this is my passion or I want to change people's lives. I want to help the world. I want to discover this thing. Um I want to I want to accomplish this for this reason, because I love this. Um, you know, I want to be a comedian because I love making people laugh. There's a passion it's behind gift. it. And it's so I was going to just keep going for 10 minutes. So <laughs> we get it. So so where's the cricket app when we need it? Do you have that cricket app? Even, oh, wait, it's in, it'll come. Even for myself, I knew that. And Tootie, especially. <laughs> so. So basically, the the idea was there was a passion and people really wanted to uh, perfect a craft. And I think that is something I've noticed that has gone completely missing. When I talk to young people, when I talk to, you know, nieces and nephews and cousins and and, and anybody that's young that I meet. Is that the Kardashian effect? I think the Kardashian effect is a huge product of of where we are for sure. But it's it, it there's a reason the Kardashians took off. It resonated with people and it. Well, my theory is back in the day, you used to have to have some sort of talent, a skill, skill set or substance to offer. And when you have someone uh, like a Kardashian who achieved this level of fame, your breakout role is essentially a sex tape <laughs> and you're able to make these millions of dollars and you don't necessarily have a skill set of talent or fill in the blank. Most people. People really don't. So every kid is at home saying, well, I can do that. I mean, right at the end of the day, also a product of she was exotic looking at the time when there was nothing but Paris Hilton sort of in that, in that yeah, look. That time. And, and maybe it yeah, at that time. So maybe that that had its uh, it's had its uh, um, its effect on it. But the way but it is impressive the way uh, they've been able to uh, sustain well, their mom's able a to genius. There's no doubt. Chris right. Jenner is a genius. We know this. But, but no, but my point going back to my my original question is, do you think that was just sort of part of this generation where they're just, it's more about being famous, more about not having to develop a skill set or nurture a talent or put in any effort. They can all be their own stars in their own movies well, because of their phone. Well, I think as democratized as social media has allowed us to be and how accessible and it's kind of knocked down the barriers to entry on in a lot of fronts and when you want to do something in the entertainment world, right? We all now have a phone in our hands or in our pocket at all times. We have a camera. We have access through social media to get it out to anybody and everybody at any given time. You can contact anybody. Think about this. Any human being can DM Mario Lopez right now in the world. Truly. It doesn't mean you're going to necessarily read it, but they can. And it, it can. There's a there's a very good possibility that you could open it or could see it, whether you want to decline it or not. You never know. Which I've seen you do a few times. <laughs> Just saying. Uh no, but I think that's as democratized as it is, you have to use it as a certain type of a tool. And what I think a lot of people have looked at it as is a way in which to get their name out there, become famous and become and, and have this everlasting like motivation to try to become relevant and stay relevant. So with this film, the American meme, you're essentially looking at social media, the impact on society. It's like a social experiment. Um, we don't know the effect when would, well, I was trying to think when was like the first meme? I can't remember seeing the first meme. It's relatively young, right? What? Seven years, eight years. It's not even, yeah, it's probably is, like is it seven. even that it's probably about seven, right? Yeah. It's probably about seven and Twitter, uh, came on the scene when, uh, maybe like, 10, 10 years ago. 
I think it started around then. Yeah, yeah around 10, 11 years. Off, so this is pretty new. This is all pretty new. And now, now, fast forward just in the last 10 years, we have people that are able to make parlay their social media accounts, uh, pick your platform and making you, as you point out in the film, millions of dollars um, in a very short amount of time doing exactly what we what we uh, just mentioned with no talent, no skill set, <laughs> just creating a lot of different ca- content. Or is there a talent and skill well, set I to think it? there are some people. That's, I mean, is it? But I because I, I don't think it's black and white like that. There's definitely people with extreme talent who get or are able to share that talent. And now use, it's a creative outlet. And use social media as a tool. Right. Because now to you share have their gift outlet. or to share, sure. you know, w- the things in which they've been working on. Yeah. But Bert, sometimes uh, not to interrupt you, but a lot of the time the, the person's jumping off of the cart, running well, into the wall, doing it. And that person cut two will have. Do you consider that a talent? That's that's I do. If they can parlay that into something that is, quote unquote, tangible and something that becomes a career, because then I think that maybe there's like a, some, a very smart thing behind it. You look at a guy like Johnny Knoxville, you look at, you know, people like that. There, there are there are people who do these extreme things, Steve-O, right. you know, who turn this into millions of dollars and are able to. But that's very few and far between. Right. And I think the motivation behind it, too, a lot of those guys are looking at it from a, a business perspective. And right. A lot of people now, it's not about even making the money. It's not even about how do I turn this into a business or a career? I just want to be relevant, be talked about and be known. And we're kind of living in this world where everybody just wants attention. And I think we can all relate to it to a certain degree. I mean, I think at the core essence of this movie, it's really about the universal need and want to be loved. And the truth is, when we look at even like liking a picture, what's the thing that comes up on a picture? It's a heart. And I think all these, there's all these subliminal small things that, like you were saying earlier, the phone that we see right here and all the technology and these social media platforms are a drug that we do not know the repercussions of. This is so new. How our brain well, and how our lives are affected by it is we're at the beginning stages of this. Well, as you know, too, as 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 lucrative as it could be for a lot of people, there's also a lot of um, it could be detrimental. For like with with the bullying, with the negativity, it's a platform for hate. So, which I guess and comes addiction. The, and C- addiction. The CDC. To, yes. The CDC just recently came out with an article saying that after opioids, they see in the next ten years the number one addiction that's going to plague the world is going to be technology and social media. I just heard a stat too to piggyback on that that texting and driving or checking your phone and driving is has now surpassed drinking and driving as far as uh, deaths and accidents. Oh, I believe it. Can you believe that? Is that I can't crazy? Just think how how often we're, our brain we're but also that's guilty scary. Of it. That's sad. If you if you were like, wow, it surpassed that. That's that's a trip. Think of the people that you were even mentioning who are going off these cliffs and doing all these extreme sports, trying to capture like you know the shot for their social media account and die. I mean, there's thousands. Yeah, literally, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. In this film, you sort of see it through the eyes of Paris Hilton, your old school buddy, who was sort of. I mean, Paris was sort of like with the blueprint of. With all due respect, just being famous because of the last name and not necessarily singing or dancing or acting. But she was very, very clever in recognizing herself as a brand and being able to parlay that into huge success with all the uh, tons of products that she has um, and, 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 and able to uh, uh, sustain this brand, too, which is still very relevant all, all over the world. But you also learn that she, she comes across very lonely, sad she looks like she longs for more. She's stuck. She said something that resonated with me. She said she, she feels like she's stuck as a 21-year-old party girl. She's how old now? For two decades, she said. For two decades. Yeah. That, that, that's like, wow. That's, that's, uh, that, that's a trip. You also focus on very famous guy on Instagram, the fat Jewish, who Josh Ostrovsky, 
who um, I like how you you highlighted him because uh, he was the first big Instagram star that I was aware of. But then later you show how there was a lot of controversy because of this plagiarism and Comedy Central took a deal away and he sort of owned up to it, (laughs) but didn't have any shame about it. And now he's he's sort of still plugging away and he's got interns working for himself. Um, Along with some great models, but the guy I found fascinating was happy to say the guy I introduced you to and hooked you up with, my boy Kirill, who I met as a photographer, and he calls himself the Slut Whisperer after changing many handles. But he's found this this particular niche where he's parting with these girls, giving them champagne facials, as he says, and he's got very biting commentary, cutting edge, and he's a very funny guy and very smart guy, you can tell. But again, also very lonely. Uh, depressed, longs for more. You see the bond with the family. You can tell he's, he's a child of immigrants like myself. He comes from a very strong family. The dude pound that I've never seen anyone down a whole bottle of Patron in like three seconds like it was water. That, I don't know if it was impressive or scary. Probably both. But to it see was him. scary because I don't know that our insurance covers that. Yo, so. <laughs> that was, wow. That was crazy. So like I was concerned home he was going to die at one point. You're going to have were, a death we on your too. I literally had a sound guy just staring there. at me like, is this allowed? Yeah, so exactly. And then the, and the other one, Brittany Furlon, yeah. who, that was fascinating. She was a girl uh, who who came out here, nice Italian girl from Philly. Yeah, first came star out of here, Vine. First star of Vine, came out here to be an actress, was struggling, couldn't, like thousands of people, um, was having a hard time with auditions. She heard about Vine. She started creating content on her own. She blew up. She was doing really well. They took away Vine. It's like she had to start all over. And then she couldn't be taken serious. Because she wasn't quick enough, and she'll be the first one to say this. I mean, what, like you were asking, are some of these people talented? Brittany's extremely talented. Yeah, that's a case that is. But she was coming, not general, but she was an actress already. She was. She just couldn't well, catch the break. She couldn't. It, it, she was struggling like so many people do. The opportunity hadn't presented itself yet. And like a Tina Fey or Amy Poehler, uh, you know... Brittany creates all her own content and right. her characters. So she has all these different characters that she would put on this Vine platform. Right. And like I said, a lot of these platforms can provide great opportunity. There's 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 pros and cons of all this, right? We just don't know the the, the long-term effects of the cons, unfortunately, right. at this point. But the, the pros are she had no barrier to entry. She didn't have to like go through an agent, go through a manager. She right. was able to share her content with the world, create a tra- create traction, create a following, create some sort of a you know brand recognition for herself and start creating you know a, a career path for herself. Right. Now the issue is when the technology changed, it went then to okay, the next big thing was Instagram, right? And she wasn't that quick to jump to Instagram. She was still on on Vine. And right. because Vine was eventually going to get bought out and eventually just morph into what is now Instagram and Twitter, you know, they're all owned um by huge companies now. And and when she lost that, she was not like she mentions guys like King Batch and Lele Pons and like the people that she kind of brought onto the Vine scene. They were she, able to transcend. They, they were able to transcend and actually get gain that traction of the, of the initial following, which yeah. is what really, you know, plateaued them to that next level. And so for someone like her, it's been very hard to transition then because then she's known as kind of like this Vine star. So she's even though she's extremely talented, she able to make good money as the Vine star. She was making good money, but I think it was fleeting because it's it's short term. And well, that's the thing, and that that's the one. Thing how can that, you create this into something that's long term and tangible? Well, that's the one thing that Fat Jewish said. That I thought that was probably the most compelling. He's like, "Look, I know this is only here for a short amount of time because after me is going to be someone crazy, someone after me, and, and this is a short window for all of us. It's hard. You don't see Regis Feldman's in this social media or Dick Clark's." type of careers in these sort of platforms. But if you can strike while that iron's hot and be lucrative, I mean, you can strike while that iron's hot and be lucrative and be smart with that money, 
you know, th- then God bless you. It's, and someone it's, like it's, Josh created a liquor brand. And so right. whether, to, whether right. this platform comes and goes and whether he becomes, you know, okay, this was yesterday's news. What makes him so smart and brilliant was he had the foresight to see, hey, I'm going to create this, put this niche and put this character into a product that sure. can stand the test of time and be while, extremely lucrative. While he has the platform to do it. Yeah, sure. Exactly. Um, I also, uh, by the way, before with Brittany, she she got engaged to Tommy Lee. Yeah, they're getting married next month. So I was just about to ask you, are they still, they're still together? They're together. And I I will be honest with you. A lot of people found it to be such an odd pairing. And yes, Tommy Lee, Molly Crew, that Tommy Lee. (laughs) It's such an odd pairing. There's no doubt about it. And I think in the film, you see that you're like, wow, this is. That came out of nowhere. It it came out of nowhere. And I think some people even worried for her. They were like, oh my gosh, this, this, this she talked about that. This crazy. So they're getting married next month, huh? But it is true love. And I swear to God, I, I actually do believe I'm not just saying that they, they are genuinely like in love and it was probably the best thing to happen to her. And it's, it's hard to believe because at first yeah. even I as a friend was like, whoa, because I didn't know Tommy. And I think after seeing them together and seeing how yeah. her life's changed and her outlook's changed, I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable. So if we ever do a sequel to this, it, it will be interesting to see uh, see what happens next. It's uh, it's also fascinating to see the big business that it's become from just the, the when you achieve a certain number and have the following, the money you can make from certain posts. Oh, absolutely. The, it, was, it, it was insane. And a lot of people are like, who are these people that are making $100,000 right. for a post? Right. But I mean, companies were, you know. You're hitting that certain demo. Yeah. Now I think that that world's become extremely oversaturated and, and the, the, the life, like how Josh mentions, is is becoming, uh, it's, it's starting to mellow out a little exactly. bit. You know what I wanted to ask you? How many how many of those are, uh, for, for most of these big accounts, are like fake followers or fake Oh, I think there's tons of that. There is, right? I so when you buy, there is a tons of it. I don't, our characters actually, we had a thing, did not actually have that. And I'm not just saying that because they're in our film. We actually like checked and said, hey, is this, I think everyone has bots and there's all these things that happen automatically. Yeah. But, you know, our characters, the reason I was drawn to these four for American Meme was, they all got involved in social media for completely different reasons. They all use it for completely different reasons. And the outcome is completely different. So someone like Paris, like you were saying, who's going to feel bad for Paris Hilton? She has the last name Hilton. She's beautiful. She's privileged. She you know, is able to do whatever she wants. If Instagram were to die tomorrow, guess what? She'd be fine. But the idea of how you feel for her is like you said, I think it's this idea where we're, we're as connected as ever on our phones. And we're as connected to what, how we think to every to so many different people. But unfortunately, we're more isolated and more lonely than ever. And I think the way in yes. which we view ourselves, like on a macro level, 2.5 billion people right now are using social media. Think about that. 2.5 billion people. So we can be more. It is ironic. On a micro level, we're more connected than ever, but yet lonelier than ever. And on a micro and level. And more isolated. Yes. We judge ourselves so harshly. We look at uh, we, every time you look at your phone, I could say, oh, my God, look at Mario. He's on the red carpet. Look at this person there. You know, he, he gets to sit with the who's who and he's really making something of himself. He has his own show. He's hanging out with his friends. He's at, you know on the field at the Chargers game. You can go on and on about like watching your friends because it's we're picking out what we want. Right. For people right. to see. So the, the fiction and reality have become completely blurred. Right. And so we don't know what's what it's how we want people to see us and view us and i think we're very harsh on ourselves so one of the the goals of the film too was to have people take a step back especially this younger generation and hopefully view their lives a little bit differently in the sense that listen this is not necessarily real what you're looking at and yes. i'm not going to judge and, and criticize myself so harshly and i'm not going to compare myself to other people i'm going to do my own thing like make sure that i'm you know doing what makes me happy and m- understanding that this is what it is and it's not necessarily real i think that came across and uh yeah proudy man um, and for, for parents out there who may not 
really be familiar how all the, the platforms, the social media platforms work or what is this and, and what's a meme and this, I think it's a, it's a, it's a great way to educate yourself. It's on Netflix. It's called the American meme. Bert Marcus is uh, the director. Bert, I know you're getting into live action player. I love, I, I love that you focus on documentaries. I hope you continue, but real quick before we go, you're working um, with actual real actors, right? This oh yeah, film. yeah. We have uh, so we have two different funds. One's for docs, and the the, the other one, uh, an unscripted. The other one, the other fund that we put together last year was for narrative feature films. And so, so give us a teaser on the what to expect on the on the. Uh, uh, my first feature will be premiering at Cannes Film Festival. It hasn't been announced, but you'll hear it here. Um, I, I won't say the name of it so we don't get in trouble. But my first feature will be premiering at the Cannes Film Festival in May, which I'm really pumped about. Can and, you talk about who's in it or the premise um, or anything? Uh, the only thing I'll tell you about it's it's about a, a it's about kind of the. African-American rodeo in Texas. And I'll leave it at that. That and sounds it, documentary-esque, but it's not. Exactly. It's scripted. Exactly. And so it does a, exist. So it's a great segue into into what we're doing. So it's a world that a lot of people might have heard about, but have no clue about. And huh. it's pretty original and yeah. fascinating. So for me, as a filmmaker, all I care about is making original content that hopefully, you know, there's so much material, like you said, you go on yeah. Netflix, you go on Amazon, you go on all these platforms, there's endless content. How do you know what to, to pick or watch? Yeah. And for me, I just try to attempt to hopefully you know make work that resonates with people in a way where they can think about their life differently and do it in a way that's extremely original and entertaining hopefully so i mean that's the goal congratulations maybe man. i'll ask mario to be in the next one right hey if you have time but well, we gotta talk you, if you <laughs> can get away talk. from like making over pools maybe we'll talk <laughs> see now you're giving teases that i haven't given <laughs> we'll talk about stay that t- later stay tuned guys stay tuned bert marcus thank you for hanging